This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. My dad actually just walked into my office unexpectedly. That's worth a delay. It was, it was, it was. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are yourself? Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and I am excited to welcome our guest today, who is a friend and a professor of church history at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's authored a number of articles and two books, and the subject of our conversation today is the subject of one of those books. It's entitled The Marrow Controversy in the Seceder Tradition. Here to talk about the Marrow Controversy is my friend Bill Van Dudewar. Bill, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Jonathan. It's a privilege to uh, join you on Theology of the Go. Well, we appreciate it. Bill, some of our listeners might know about the Marrow Controversy, but I expect many do not. And so I wonder if you could just start out by telling us what was the Marrow Controversy? Sure, yeah, I'd be delighted to. Uh, and, and it's not surprising most people don't know about it because it's a 300-year-old controversy, which took place in Scotland and None of us uh, were there to participate in it. Yeah, its roots really go even further back than that. In 1645, uh, during that summer in London, England, a book was published called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. It's published uh, from what we can discern uh, during that summer, having been written by a man who was a barber surgeon, sort of a lay theologian, and he he really had on his heart uh, the passion to tackle a contemporary debate in his day between what he saw as legalism on the one hand and antinomianism on the other. And his passion and goal was to really lay out the biblical road of faithful gospel preaching that understands the role and the place of the law of God. And so this man, Edward Fisher, this barber surgeon, wrote this book, it had its place, sort of in English Puritanism, but really rose to prominence almost a century later uh, when a pastor named uh, Thomas Boston uh, got a hold of it in Scotland, was wrestling through issues of legalism in his own life and ministry, and just found it a tremendously helpful book, even though he found it helpful and shared it with some friends. Uh, it quickly became a significant piece of a new controversy as there were men in the Church of Scotland who were not at all excited about this book and what it had to say about the gospel. Now, what was it that they were upset about? What was the actual controversy? You said Boston found it very helpful. Fisher was, was trying to wrestle through these issues in a biblical way. So what was the, what was the problem well, the problem, and I'll share the problem from the vantage of the uh, supporters of the rediscovery of this book, who are referred to as the Marrow Brethren. It would be Thomas Boston, Ebenezer Erskine, and a number of other Church of Scotland ministers. Uh, from their vantage, uh, the Church of Scotland's ministry, in general, not everywhere, um, but had had slid uh, sort of between the 1680s, 1690s, uh, into the 17-teens, uh, into a mode of more of a legalistic kind of preaching that was mixed with some hyper-Calvinism. 
And in their view, this manifested in, in different ways. There were some men who were preaching more moralistically, uh, but there were others who were really proclaiming that if you wanted to come to Christ for salvation, what you needed first was a, a depth of conviction of sin and a, a desire uh, to walk in holiness. And these were really conditions that needed to be met before coming to Christ. And and this played into the preaching before a pastor uh, proclaimed a welcome to Christ. He would, he would, in a sense, narrow that gospel offer down to uh, saying, you know, this offer of Christ is really for those who are deeply convicted by their sin, who are earnestly striving to walk in holiness. Christ welcomes you to come to him. And so the Merrow brethren had this concern. This is what they they read and saw in their contemporary setting. That's what Thomas Boston uh, confessed in his memoirs to having wrestled through himself. Uh, how do I proclaim Christ? Should it be, you know, in a sense, focused on those who I think might show signs of election? Or should Christ, as the Merrow indicated, be proclaimed freely to everyone? And that, that, you know, if you don't feel convicted enough of your sin, that that is part of your sin and you come to Christ as you are, uh, confessing all of your sin, all of your need, all of your insufficiency, because he is perfectly sufficient. And so that's the, uh, the vantage that the Merrow brethren had on the issues of their day in ministry. Now, on the other side, the men right. who were opposed to these Merrow brethren and the men who were opposed to the message of the Merrow of modern divinity, how would they have framed it? I suppose we can sort of guess based on the way you've articulated Boston's view and the other Merrow brethren view. But what would the opponents have been concerned about with the rediscovery of these doctrines? Right. Um I should note from the outset that on the side of the opponents, we have a mixture of men. Some, some we would really see as evangelical men who are perhaps brought to sort of a state of alarm by some of some mischaracterizations of the, of the marrow of modern divinity. Others who I think as we examine them more closely, we would say they did have a legalistic bent. So they're a mixture of men. But what they see as they look at the marrow of modern divinity is you know, this free proclamation of Christ, the way it it's framed and declared, it makes them hedgy and nervous that there's a you know a trajectory here towards a universal atonement view of the of the work of Christ. And I think uh, this is a key point of the debate. Boston and the Erskins will seek to very carefully refute that, and I think they do an admirable job of doing so. But that is a concern. And I think, again, if you've been uh, steeped in a setting, which is a confessional setting, they were both sides. I'd say these men are, none of them are chafing at the church's confessional standards. So it's very interesting, this debate, you could say, is all, you know, among Reformed theologians. But that, that would be a key aspect. And tied in with that would be then the relationship of repentance and faith is repentance something that comes before faith? Do they go hand in hand? 
Uh, the fear of critics of the marrow of modern divinity would be that, you know, if you, if you adopt this book, it's just going to be too easy, easy believism. People are, are just going to think they're Christians and they may wander into antinomianism. And just think, you know, the grace of God, Christ is sufficient for me, and so it doesn't matter how I live. But again, the Merrowman would articulate in the Marrow of Modern Divinity, the second half of the book, actually, as an exposition of the Ten Commandments and their place in the life of the believer. And so those at least give a sense of some of the criticisms that are brought. Obviously, my sympathies lie with the Merrow Brethren. You use the term easy believism, and yeah. and that's obviously a term that is used in modern debates. You know, in slight, sometimes probably in the same way, and sometimes in slightly, slightly different, maybe more legitimate ways as a criticism. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could bring some of the insights from this marrow controversy forward into our own day. How do you see some of these issues working themselves out today? And and what can we learn or what should we learn from from the debates in the early 18th century and, and it back actually into the 17th century that can help us sort of navigate through these issues of gospel proclamation and repentance and faith today? Yeah, I think I think today is, in many respects, though we live in a different culture, a different church culture, um, certainly we, we live in a different world than the Scottish Presbyterians of the early 1700s or Edward Fisher of the 1640s. But um, I really appreciate the way Sinclair Ferguson has walked through some of these things in his book, The Whole Christ, and, and his lectures on the marrow, just noting that these are really perennial issues of the human heart. And so there's application here, both for our ecclesiastical context, our context of evangelism and mission, but even more directly for our own hearts. In sin, we have the tendency to both legalism and antinomianism, and the two really go hand in hand. We, you know, in pride, in self can easily start thinking that we can somehow make ourselves more acceptable to God uh, through our own efforts. And uh, on the other hand, in, we can treat the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ lightly. And uh, sadly, we do easily in sin. Every time we sin, we do. And so uh, these issues, I think, are very personal, you know, with, with great heart application and then in the wider context, I think in the Reformed evangelical world, the broader evangelical world, uh, there are times and places where whether it's an individual pastor or perhaps movements can tend to be adding law to the gospel, be adding distinctives that go beyond scripture to the life of the church and um to what's required for a Christian profession, the faith in Jesus Christ is being credible. On the other side, we we have seen as well, and the church has wrestled through, particularly in the broader uh, Presbyterian and uh, Reformed evangelical setting, uh, antinomianism. And um, we, we've seen that certainly as well in the last 10 years, uh, sort of wrestling over 
you know, this grace emphasis that uh, tends perhaps in a mischaracterized way, I think, in part, but uh, at times caricatured as, as a Lutheran approach. So I think if we look at Martin Luther uh, himself, you certainly have a high place uh, for the law in the life of the believer, but a trajectory that could diminish the place of the Ten Commandments, uh, the place of of the law as the Lord's calling and claim on our life as we walk in new obedience. So it's a perennial tension, or, or tension may be the wrong word, but it's a perennial issue that we have to struggle with in the context of, of the Christian church even today. Now, you've benefited, obviously, from reading the, the Marrow of Modern Divinity and from reading some of the authors, the Erskins and, and uh, Thomas Boston, associated with that controversy. But what about someone today who's sort of unfamiliar with this? Maybe this is their first introduction. Where would you tell them to start? What books are worth reading? Because these are perennial issues, it sounds like these are things that as pastors and even as Christians within the church, we need to think about constantly. And so and so, what are some resources to help us do that? Should we be going back to, to Boston, to the Marrow? What would you suggest? I would, I would suggest uh, all of the above, but maybe sort of a, a gradation type of approach. So if you're just stepping into this, you're just beginning interest in these issues. I really think uh, Sinclair Ferguson's new book, The Whole Christ, uh, very pastorally, uh, also theologically, walks through these things. It's, it's in many ways, Sinclair's drawing on these, these themes of the marrow controversy walking through their application in our own lives and uh, in the life of the church. So I would say that would be a great beginning point. I think getting the marrow of modern divinity itself has been republished by Christian Focus in a way that's uh, laid out well, that makes it easier to read. And it's a great book. It's a dialogue, sort of like a, a Pilgrim's Progress kind of layout. Uh, there's four characters. There's a minister, evangelista, a young Christian. His name is Neophytus. And then uh, two of the young Christian's friends are there. One's named Nomista. He's the legalist. And the other one is Antinomista. Uh, he's the lawless one, uh, the antinomian. I uh, really thinks, you know, sinning's not a big issue. God will forgive him anyway. And so I think it's a, it's a wonderful dialogue. Again, it's a, a more substantive work. But I think it's a good... You know, if you read uh, uh, Dr. Ferguson's The Whole Christ, uh, getting into the marrow itself would be helpful as well. My own book does deal with the marrow controversy, a bit more of an academic way, and then looks at the influence of that controversy into gospel preaching. And um, it's probably something that, you know, seminary students or, or pastors would be more interested in. Of the of the Marrow Brethren, and you, you've mentioned a few, which ones do you think people would derive the most benefit from reading? I mean, many times I know people are pointed to Thomas Boston. Is that is that the direction you would you would point people in today? That, that is the same direction I would point people into today. I think it's worthy to note, you know, Boston wrote a lot. We have a lot from him. Boston's memoirs are a fascinating account of his life. Again, the English is a bit of an older English, 
but it really walks through and, and gives you an idea of the man, but also the man in relation to his Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that's really central. Sinclair Ferguson, as he speaks in his book, The Whole Christ, he says really the fundamental, the heart issue of all of this marrow controversy is, is who is the God who we come to know in Jesus Christ? What's he really like, truly like? And that's what Thomas Boston's life reveals to us. It's really the gracious work of God in him, helping him to see and know God, to know God in Christ. So I'd recommend uh, taking a look at his memoirs. Another well-known book of Thomas Boston is his Fourfold State of Man. That book's a substantive book that walks through the states of man from his original state, his fallen state of grace, state is redeemed, and then eventually looking at uh, his future state and glory. A great book. It should be noted that Boston started preaching sermons that led to that book before he was really clear himself on the gospel. And I think if you look at the early part of that book, some of that tenor is clear that he's not quite as free and Christ-centered as he becomes some of his later writings. Then there's also the, his uh, massive set, if I remember correctly, uh, 12 volumes, which contain many sermons. And uh, some of those sermons are just, uh, many of them are just really gems that are great, great to read. And, uh, yeah, yeah, those are those are great recommendations. Um, and and the other thing, I you may have mentioned this, but in the Ferguson book, the whole Christ, there's a good, concise, and and actually kind of exciting account of the whole marrow controversy, sort of distilled into right. uh, into maybe a chapter or something like that. So highly commend all those volumes, of course, including your own, Bill, and thanks for your work on that. Bill, I wish we had more time, but I do appreciate your introduction for us to this important controversy and to the significance of it today. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. It's been a joy and privilege to join you again. Thanks for listening to Theology on the Go. There were a number of books that Bill mentioned on our podcast today, and we want to give you the opportunity to get a free copy of one of them, The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. It was just recently published, and if you go to placefortruth.org and click on the Theology on the Go link, there'll be an opportunity for you to register to win a copy of The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. The subtitle of it is Legalism, Antinomianism, and Gospel Assurance, Why the Marrow Controversy Still Matters, an excellent volume which I've recommended and given away to many people. We really do appreciate your listening to Theology on the Go. If you know others who would benefit from this podcast, please tell them about it. And if you have the opportunity and the means to support us, we couldn't do what we do without the generosity of listeners like you. You can donate via placefortruth.org or alliancenet.org. We're also always glad to receive your questions, so feel free to email us if you have any questions or comments about things that you've heard. And thanks again for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.